Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. I'm Chrissy Jambowski and have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. One of us is in the school-age day-to-day of parenting. And one of us is on the other side now. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. This is Beth Ann. And this is Chrissy, and today we are here with Joe Myers, Director of Prevention Education at Crime Victim Center of Chester County. And he is going to talk with us everything about bullying and cyberbullying. So hi, Joe. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Chrissy. Um, Joe, can we start our conversation today with a little bit of background information about Crime Victim Center and what it is um, that your organization does for our community? Sure thing. Uh, Crime Victim Center is Chester County's victim advocacy agency. Uh, We serve out victims of crime, their families, and anybody impacted by crime or violence all throughout Chester County. Uh, We've been a nonprofit here in Chester County since the 70s. Uh, We're Chester County's Rape Crisis Center. So we provide a lot of supportive services to people who experience harm, Uh, whether that's in the immediate moments after their harm, providing crisis counseling or intervention, uh, or if they choose to go through the criminal justice process or if they have to go to the hospital because they've been harmed, our advocates will go with them through that. And even after all that's said and done, all along the healing path from being harmed. So that can mean counseling, supportive services like that, helping people kind of stay on their feet after they experience that kind of trauma. Uh, even though our name says Crime Victim Center, we help out any type of harm. So that can be things that get reported to the police or not, things that may not raise to the level of crime, so bullying, harassment, relationship troubles. We help out people of all ages from you know, little kids all the way up to the elderly, me and my team with a prevention education team. So we travel all over Chester County to partner with communities to help make safer communities for everybody involved, right? Preventing violence by addressing the risk and protective factors of that kind of violence. So when we're specifically talking about parents, what are the programs that you all have in place targeting parents? And, and obviously we're focused on prevention, but the parent programs that you have. Right. I mean, we do a lot with parents. Um, A lot of the work that we do is focused on, uh, we call it like power-based interpersonal violence. So that is anytime a person is using violence or harm to hold power over somebody else. So that includes like, we have a uh, child sexual abuse prevention workshop that we work on. It's called Parents in the Know, uh, which is, it talks about bystander strategies, talks about recognizing warning signs of abuse um, and talks about healthy sexuality and making sure we're having those tough conversations with kids. Uh, We do programs about the internet with parents because sometimes parents are uh, uh, frightened of the internet and what their kids are up to on us, which sometimes is fair. And sometimes I, I, you know, sometimes it's a lot of like pumping the brakes and being like, Hey, let's just talk it through. So we kind of go through some of their fears, their concerns, um, kind of update them on some of the goings on, um, which we are learning from their kids when we go to schools and kids talk to us about the internet. Um, we also talk to parents about bullying, right? What they can do to support their kids, what it looks like, what are the roots of it, uh, and what they can do if their child is being bullied and what they can do if their child is doing the bullying. Because likely in their lifetimes, uh, somebody's going to do both. Thanks, Joe. Um, one of the things that I want to make the connection here is that communities that care of greater Downingtown, um, our focus is mental health and substance use. And this topic today, bullying, 
um, I really want to draw that connection between Crime Victim Center and your, uh, one of our strongest partners in this work. And is to really to explain how bullying and what it is. And as you said, the, whether you're being bullied or and or are the bully, um, where that fits in mental health and also the substance use that's tied then, you know, as part of what happens to someone who's bullied or being bullied. So if you could kind of do like a little um, bullying 101 and kind of explain to us, um, you know, what exactly um you know, is bullying. And here in our, in our community, we talk about the Pennsylvania Youth Survey data in Downingtown. And that data consistently um, addresses different aspects of bullying. And we know that in 2019, that data, um, we were able to go back and look at 26% of Downingtown youth reported experience bullying in the past 12 months. You know, so our hope is stay to learn a little bit more about what that number, what that percentage represents. Yeah, so when we talk to kids about bullying, we use like a really simple definition, right? It's any intentional or repeated harmful behavior. So that's if someone does something on purpose over and over again, uh, like usually it's another kid, sometimes it'll be an older kid or a bigger kid or just somebody who's targeting another person. Um, once people start to get older, we, ex we get a little more nuanced in that definition, right? Mm -hmm. Bullying is a continuum of behaviors that sometimes are happening directly, sometimes are happening indirectly. Um, they target individuals or groups, and they oftentimes, like I said before, are based on holding power or control over those folks. Uh, I, I imagine that as children, and I know as kids get older, they enter some of those older years, the bullying changes and looks different. But even adults bully and pick on each other. We just don't often call it bullying, right? We oftentimes will call it like, you know, the normal things, talking trash to your neighbor about the football game or um, complaining about your boss, which oftentimes is valid, but it can sometimes still be not necessarily a positive behavior to show young people. So the so. continuous piece is like an important piece of it is that continuity and consistency would you say sometimes I feel like sometimes when I work especially with educators we get kind of hung up on the continuous piece because mm. when I think of like re repeated repeated could mean like once a day once a week and then sometimes if it happens once a month like people are like well it's not bullying because it's not happening that often right you go a whole month without it you know if my older sister posts a goofy picture of me on her Facebook for my birthday every year. Mm -hmm. Is that bullying? I mean, if we zoom out, yes, because like it's repeated, it's intentional. Mm. What's the impact of it? Not depends on, I guess, the year. I mean, you know, am I getting older? Am I getting more confident? Right. So that's that, that double piece of, of sometimes it's, it's also how the person who's being targeted takes mm. it. And so, and kind of along with that too, could you kind of go over examples or give us instances of how this looks different based on age? So how does bullying differ between elementary kids and then middle school and high school students? Um, and what does that look like for both age groups? Yeah, absolutely. With younger kids, like I always like to say for little kids, it's like most of the things that are happening to them are like happening for the first time. So sometimes it's name calling, sometimes it's uh, excluding kids from games or activities. Sometimes it's just like what happens when a friendship changes suddenly, right? Like, oh, the kid next to me doesn't talk to me as much anymore. 
and now I'm not in this social relationship. And I can feel like bullying for those kids because it's the first time they've had a relationship change. Um, and rightfully so, I think, right? Uh, and there's there's some of that physical stuff too. Kids are rough and tumble. Some kids will physically, you know, push around or hold that physical strength over, especially as kids are growing up, they might have vastly different moments where they're different sizes. Um, and then as they start to get older, we do see more of that social element. So the excluding and including the creation of like social groups and, and sometimes social hierarchies, those things become more apparent in middle and high school. And that's where we see things like, you know, interpersonal harassment. Um, sometimes we'll start to see sexual harassment develop, which is on that continuum of behaviors of bullying where kids aren't respecting each other's bodies in words, in action in images. So then we get the Venn diagram with cyberbullying where, you know, sometimes kids are online spreading rumors or sharing information about their classmates or sneakily taking photos of their classmates to bully them. Um, or sometimes sharing inappropriate photos, right? A child, a young person, a teenager might share an intimate photo with someone close to them. And then that photo might get spread around. And that's where we start to loop into some of the, where it becomes more targeted harassment and even criminal behaviors that we don't call bullying because at that point we're, I mean, bullying almost feels like a diminished word compared to what's happening, mm. but they're linked. They're not disconnected, I should say. Um, and even then it becomes in like the air that the kids breathe. They start to, you know, they roast their friends, right? And that's bullying, but it's like your friends. So you're picking on each other, you pick on your acquaintances, um, and that's just part of the natural conversation. The, the statistic y'all shared from the Pays data said like, what, 26%? About a quarter. That felt low to, yeah, yeah, that felt low to me. Oh. But that's because I think I think the kids stopped calling it bullying at that point. They're like, yeah. oh, that, this kid just always acts like that. Like they're always talking trash or they're always saying this. So they don't think of it as bullying, even though me as an adult in the field might be like, no, nah, that's bullying. But I get why you're not saying, right? You don't feel it to be the case. Oh, so I do. Th so that that perception. So it really is also like to the individual is kind of like in, in their context, maybe they don't see that as bullying. And I don't know, maybe it's because they experience it in a different way from their family and whatever their experiences with it. So they have a different way to define bullying. Right. And then, of course, as a professional or a parent or an educator, we might see it completely differently and say, no, I, that that fits you know, bullying. And I think that kind of leads me into the, this real, this next question that um, over the years, as this has become a, a high priority in school districts and in parents' lives, you know, I, I know that, you know, I, from my experience, it, it was not a thing that kind of like was on anybody's real radar about as a, as a school issue or um, for families to really sort of get involved in. So I think that there becomes like a lot of misconceptions because people will look at their own life and say, oh yeah, that just happens all the time. And that's kids being kids. Um, not a big deal. You know, so I think there might be sort of these misconceptions um, about it, but I think there's also some unknowns because people don't think too much maybe about what leads up to like, when you look at an iceberg, you see bullying like sticks up, you know, a kid's been, been punched. There's been a verbal assault. They've been teased. They've been, you know, slammed in their locker, whatever it is. Under it are these misconceptions that you don't see. And under it 
are maybe the variables that are creating what all we get to see in everyday life. So if you could kind of talk a little bit about those misconceptions and those unknowns that are operating at a lower level that show up, what would that look like then? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot that contributes to bullying, right? I think back to uh, like the 80s movies, right? And if you watch the media, you can see how bullying has changed over the years. Like in The Karate Kid, they like almost kill Daniel, right? Like they run him off the road. And that's wild, right? And and in the movies, you'd be like, there's a bully right there. It's like, oh, it's an attempted homicide. I don't know if that counts. But when it comes to a lot of these things, like bullying and harassment is in the air of our society. It exists because um, as adults, we're also participating in some of these behaviors, right? For children, oftentimes we want it to fit into, like, I think adults try to fit bullying into a neat little box, right? Mm. That's not bullying. That kid was just mean to you, right? That's not bullying. You just had a bad day, right? And I think for us, that makes it just easier to not have to deal with it. Um, the root of bullying, like the root of all these other issues in our society is like power imbalances, Children feel out of power in their lives and for good reason, like they're kids, you know, they have to eat their vegetables, they have to go to bed, they have to brush their teeth, which to a child can be true and blue oppression, but it's really like just them not having that power. Adults, we have the same thing, right? We have a bad day at work and we have to find ways of feeling empowered to get through it. Or like, you know, your boss gets on your tail or you're, you know, you're having a, an issue in your family and some people don't have the coping skills or the appropriate healthy behaviors to address some of that power imbalance. Bullying is taking this massive societal structure and putting it onto a tiny little level in between kids. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to kids, like they pick on each other because they're different, even though they may not say that that's what they're doing. Um, you know, they, the smaller kid, the quieter kid, the, you know, a child from a different race background or children with different gender identities often get targeted because they're picking this stuff up from the world. The world is modeling some of this behavior, be it family, be it adults, be it um, TV or whatever, and then they reproduce it uh, as kids. Um, it's tough because like, that's what we do. We're living in kind of a not so perfect world. So that's what we see with kids as they also start to be participate in that not so perfect space. It's almost like this weird thing where kind of to your point, Bethann, how you were saying, you know, it, this has come a long way. It's really come to the surface as something that schools and communities have decided to make a priority to address and to try to prevent and to do staff and community and parent and educator and student trainings on, you know, the bully, the victim, the bystander, those types of things. However, it still is happening, right? It's still, it's not going to all of a sudden, it'll give us some tools to help deal with it, but it is still happening. And I also wonder, and I know Joe, you were going to talk about cyberbullying with us. And that is my big question of, you know, and I think this is what the biggest I would, I would hedge to guess is the biggest difference between little kids and big kids, right? Is the access to the internet, the access to phones and social media and having this other totally different platform and world to be able to engage in these different behaviors. Um, whether it's, you know, regardless of what position you're in. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk everything cyberbullying when we get back. Hey, Chrissy here. I just wanted to take a minute to ask you a favor. 
If you're enjoying our podcast and finding the information helpful, would you please share it with someone, a friend, a fellow parent, your partner, or another family member or grandparent? We're hoping to support as many parents and caregivers as possible, and we know word of mouth is the best way to reach others in our community. Thanks so much for helping us share the podcast and taking the time to listen. Okay, back to our conversation. Okay, and we're back. And now, Joe, you are going to tell us everything we need to know about cyberbullying and all of the bullying and exchanges and things that deal with, as you said before, the scary internet and social media and where where all the things seem to happen. So um, when we talk about cyberbullying, what is how is cyberbullying different from bullying or is it just the same thing and it's taken place in a different place? And can you talk to us kind of about the trends that are happening, what you're seeing, what parents should be looking out for? Yeah. I mean, we could probably do like a 10 part series on cyberbullying. It would, uh, it definitely would take a long time. Um, So I guess from the top, like cyberbullying is bullying online, using technology, using different tools. Um, we try not to separate the cyber world from the offline world, right? For kids, for young people, I mean, even for me, right? I'm 31. The online world and the offline world are are not disconnected. What happens online impacts people Mm. offline. So sometimes, uh, you know, there's a, I feel like when I first started talking about cyberbullying, it was kind of minimized in some ways. People would be like, well, it's online, just shut it down. Um, I think people have really come around to the idea that now it's actually more troubling because like you used to be able to go to school you know experience bullying or harassment but then get on the bus go home and have your whole home to be a safe place um instead you're now connected to your classmates or your people 24 hours a day so it makes it kind of difficult right if the kid who is hurting you is not in your history class they could still be talking trash on you online or or sending things to people without them without your permission or knowing um, so online harassment and bullying looks a lot like offline harassment. It's, uh, you know, calling people names, sending each other mean text messages or memes or DMs. Um, it can be spreading rumors, uh, like sneakily taking a photo of someone in your class and like, you know, commenting on it, sharing it without their permission. Um, and like I said, as students get older, um, sometimes you see things like, non-consensual sexting where someone will send a person's nude to another person or send a nude that somebody's not asking for to them. It just creates this, this new avenue for people to do these harmful behaviors. Um, a big pro- part of it, I think, stems from the not having to look at the person who you're trying to harm, right? I, I can by not looking at them, by not seeing their face, mm-hmm. you don't have to feel that immediate reaction, right? I, I tell kids, like, if I were to say something mean to a person in person, I have to deal with their reaction, whether they get sad and start crying, start freaking out, or try and beat me up. Like, I have to deal with that, and that'll, that tempers my ability. It keeps to you things. in check. Like, seeing a person's emotions and seeing their face and seeing their, it's just the natural human response to have that affect you. Absolutely. And the internet takes down some of that empathy because you're not seeing the person. Mm. Um, You're not seeing what's happening when you send them something. You might just be sending a tweet that is 
you know, about you feel is supporting your belief or your thing, but you're actually might be attacking a person or bringing them down. Mm. Uh, and, and sometimes the internet also has a culture of one upping each other in terrible ways. So like who can do the most ridiculous thing, right? Sometimes you'll see it in positive ways with like these dance challenges or whatever, where kids are learning TikTok dances. Um, these kids are more rhythmic than I have ever seen in my <laughs> life, but then you also see some of the harmful things, right? Where kids are able to escalate these things quickly um, and spread it so fast because all these, as they get older, they all have access to the stuff. And even like school issued things can become tools of harm. Even though it's an educational material, it can still hurt kids, right? And that's not to say kids shouldn't have technology. It's just we have to work on the social emotional component around the technology, yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge and pro- is you can't, ju- it, it's kind of like we have to come to terms and this is me <laughs> speaking to myself as children who my kids don't have, they're young, they don't have phones yet, but yeah. that's in their future. And so just thinking of, okay, you can't, I mean, I guess you could, but it's probably unlikely that they're never going to not have a phone, fu- like they're going to get phones, they're going to have access to technology. So yeah. it's how do you build the skills to critically think about what they're seeing and also how they're using it. Are they using it in a positive way or are they using it like a weapon? Like, because you could do a lot of damage, you know, and with the words Mm -hmm. that you say. And, and I think that's a really big piece of it is not for all ages of people on, especially social media platforms is it removes that empathetic piece of it because you're not seeing other humans when they're yeah. reading these things or whatever it is. We always tell parents that technology, um, your phones, your iPads, they're tools. Yeah. And just like every other tool, like you can build a birdhouse with a hammer, you can shatter a birdhouse with a hammer. If you don't teach a kid how to use the hammer, you increase the likelihood of harm happening. Mm-hmm. And that's not all on parents because parents aren't the only influencers of these kids, right? It's their peers, the media, um, so many different spaces influence how they use it. You could do everything you want correctly as a parent and still there's risk involved. Yeah. So it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging. Mm-hmm. Joe, I want to just expand that point because that's an excellent point. I really like the way that you, we are talking about a tool and how it can either be used in a positive manner or in a harmful manner. Um, but I think that for parents, none of us want or have wanted you know, our children to be in a bullying situation, either on the receiving end or being the person who's initiating, you know, the bullying. Um, and of course, we always have concerns about our kids witnessing bullying and perhaps, you know, not taking any action. And there's a lot of reasons why we see adults don't take actions in bullying or violent situations. But what would you say um, parents can do? Um, because I think it's a really hard place to be because when a child comes in and says they're being bullied, and they give you the example of what it is, and you want to fix it. You know, there's a party that wants them to develop their own skill set to deal with it because you're not always going to be there. You're not going to be in their back pocket every time something like that happens to them, right? So they need their own skills. But you do have to intervene because you are their advocate too. And I know that kids will say, oh, God, no, don't do anything. Because if you do something, it's going to get worse. Oh, please. You know, and, and I kind of was that parent that wanted to go in and fix it. And they, they're like, no, 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 if you do, this will happen. Or yeah. So how do you do that? Because now you're balancing it between, okay, you need your own skill set. I'm still a parent who's got to advocate and be your protector for a while yet. 
I don't want to make the same situation worse. Um, so what do, what do you suggest to parents? Because that's kind of the, the, the mess, the complexity of dealing with bullying. Yeah, I, I usually like to start this this answer um, by kind of giving a bit of a warning about myself. I'm not a parent and I can never tell parents how to parent. That's just, that's wrong, right? You ultimately have to kind of navigate your parenting situation and your setup in the way that you think you can do best. Um, and obviously no one's figured it out perfectly or else we wouldn't have to have conversations like this. There wouldn't be a hundred thousand parenting books coming out, right? It's, it's not easy. So I have a lot of empathy and a lot of like, you know, at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do for you, for your kids, for your family, for what's best. Um, some of the things I recommend for parents is uh, kind of communicating with your kids to see what they want to do and finding ways to empower them. So if, if a kid comes home and says something happened, talk them through it, you know, talk about the feelings behind it, try to build up that empathy for the people around the kid, right? If the person's, we, we always tell people like, Sometimes people who bully have been bullied themselves. So that person who's bullying you is somebody who's experiencing harm as well, which is no justification for that, but it should help build up that empathy for others and also help build up some of those resiliency skills, right? Practice some of the alternatives with your, with your kids and say like, if you're experiencing bullying, what can you do? Like, who can you go to? Who can you talk to? How can you get around that? Or how can you avoid it? Things like that, that help empower the child to make their own decisions about what they want to do next. We also kind of recommend parents um, network with the other parents, right? Odds are your kid, you're going to know the parents of the kid who's bullying your kid. Um, try to have some humility in that space because you also might have a parent coming to you because your kid might be bullying them, which is tough. Like it's, it's one of those things that we always kind of say yeah. like, Every person's going to bully. Every person's going to be bullied. And parents, because it's a, so a part of our society, you know, mm -hmm. we should come with that humility to other parents and say, I think my kid made a bad choice and your child, yeah, your child was impacted. Or I think your kid made a bad mm -hmm. choice and my child was impacted. By having that community of connection, you create a safer environment for those kids to speak up about these issues that are happening to them by not minimizing them or like blowing them out of proportion, right? If you as a parent are reasoning with your child and reasoning with others, then hopefully that'll create more of that, that protective environment for those kids so that if they do get bullied or do the bullying, maybe they can learn accountability and be like, hey, I messed up and now I need to do better. Or you hurt my feelings, let's talk about how we can repair this harm. Are there like, for like a little kid level. Yeah, are there like red flags or signs that you could keep an eye out for that might be just signs or symptoms like that either way because I wonder if a lot of this is happening whether it's on phones and things or if it's you know your kids are elementary age and this is happening at recess or only on the school campus, right? Um that a parent should keep an eye out for, things to look for. Yeah, absolutely. I think talking to your kids about um, the normal things you talk about, what's going on at school, how is everybody doing, how did you feel today, did you have fun at recess, did you have fun in the lunchroom, did anything come up, keeping those lines of communication open from when they're young to as old as you can keep those lines of communication going is, is positive, because the, the more you let your kids talk to you, the more you're going to pick up some of the, the cues, right? 
uh, I always say like every conversation that you have to let your eyes glaze over and hear about Minecraft is like an opportunity for you're, you're letting the pavement for your kids to come to you for bigger things. Um, some of the signs of if someone's being targeted by bullying, we always talk about like becoming um, isolated or removed or withdrawn from their social surroundings. You know, if a kid says like, I didn't do anything at recess today, I just sat around, right? Like inquiring, you know, like going, taking the next step and going in. That's, and that's all normal parenting stuff, like getting in there, having that conversation, seeing what's going on. Um, if your child has siblings or if you're friends with other people in the school, right, having conversations about what they're hearing, right, what are their kids telling them is an issue? What are they, you know, what are they coming home and reporting during the day? Are they saying that they're having a trouble with this kid or with this teacher or with this part of the recess yard? Like, how can they, you know, again, that coalition mindset of working with each other to hear about it and then also building those relationships with the teachers, like making mm -hmm. sure that, you're hearing from the school what's happening and you're expecting to hear that from the school, whether mm -hmm. things are good or bad, parents should be kept mm -hmm. appraised of it. Yep, I think those are that, and, and really the, the message there, Joe, I think it's really great points is having those you know relationships and those conversations and staying in touch with and you know teachers and other parents and building that. And then also kind of keeping an eye out for those mental health signs that show the kids are being bullied and maybe they're not saying it, you might, I don't want to go to school today. I have an upset stomach, increase in anxiety, not sleeping, I, you know, all of that stuff. And you're trying to like drill down to like, what is causing this? And perhaps it is something with a bullying or harassing or, you know, something else that's happening. Cause what in that pays that when we ask kids a little bit more detail about feeling safe at school, they'll start kind of reporting some of those things like, you know, I, yeah, maybe I didn't, I didn't want to go to school because I didn't feel safe or I was afraid for my personal safety or bullying. So you're going back to your point, Joe, being able to always ha having, and in some of our other podcasts, the same things, mm -hmm. comfort level in these conversations, being okay with talking about this so that when it does happen, if it does happen, they're comfortable coming to you before it becomes sort of these mental health, you know, concerns that we're seeing. So it's that same messaging. Mm -hmm. um, flipping it though. So would you say, because you may not know this. So I kind of have a two part question. So my first part is what if it's flipped and you get that call or for email or whatever from a teacher or an admin at school, Hey, you know, Jason did this, this, and that. You need to come in. We have to have a meeting. He did this or she, whoever it is, started a rumor, whatever it is, to another child. And so your kid is the one that is the bully. What would you recommend how parents handle that? With that, I mean, it's similar stuff, right? Come to that with that humility. Like, it's always going to be possible that your kid did something that harmed another person. That doesn't mean your kid is uh, like a ne'er-do-well, like your kid's going to become like a, a criminal mastermind or something like kids do stuff like this. So try not to overreact for yourself or for your kid. Um, but that humility is important because if you were to get defensive and say, no, my kid would never do something like that, you may not be seeing everything that's happening with your child, right? You might be disconnected mm -hmm. or, or in disbelief, which is totally fair and totally understandable. Yeah. 
but that humility is huge. Um, so when that happens, right, listen to what the people say, listen to what the, per the kid who was harmed, listen to their family, right? Um, within reason, right, if they start yelling at you or harassing you because of it, like that's not, that's not the right way to respond to that. Um, but then talk to your kid. Just say like, hey, talk, tell me, talk to me about what happened. Like what, what made, what brought you to this decision? Like what was going through your head? Sometimes it's just kids weren't thinking, right? They responded, they reacted, they did something uh, and it caused harm, right? Mm -hmm. After that, like once you understand that, you can start planning for, well, what are you going to do next time? Like what happens if you have that instant feeling, right? That you're going to do something. How do you handle a big feeling? How do you handle a, a large emotion that suddenly comes out? and start practicing some of those skills, right? Setting up times mm -hmm. in the home to, you know, practice it, role play, go through things and keep the checking in going. And then also mm -hmm. talking to your kid about what they can do to repair the harm, right? What can they do to that's say they're sorry point. to make up for it? Mm. Excellent point, yeah. And that's my second part of the question is, because back to the beginning when you were saying, you know, the essence of this, interaction between individuals, right, where someone is harassing or bullying another person is to have for that person to have power and possibly control. So is there some part of this that, you know, if it's your child that's behaving in this way and you had no idea that this was happening, is it really about, is it something else? Is it makes sense to wonder, is it something else, another root cause that's going on that's causing this? And that's how this child is choosing to behave so that they do feel like they have some sort of sense of control and power, but it's not really about the bullying and it's not really about the other kid. Is that sometimes the case? Maybe not always, but sometimes the case? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Kids, especially in school settings or neighborhoods, they're around each other a lot. So like harm is just bound to happen on a statistical level, right? Like the more time you spend with somebody, the more likely a bad thing could happen. Um, so by looking at some of the roots of that, like, you know, is your kid stressed out about something? Is school or life stressing them out? Are they getting picked on by their siblings or another person? Um, what's going on that's stopping them or that's causing this behavior? And then what can we do to kind of like support around that? So like maybe you, your kids stop playing soccer. They don't have that organized thing anymore. So they're not friends with their soccer friends anymore. And now they're feeling left out, detached, and they respond in a, in a not positive way. How do we replace that formerly positive behavior that led to a negative behavior with a new positive pro-social behavior? So that might mean connecting them with a different activity, finding things that they do feel empowered in, maybe helping them make their own choices in some way. So like giving them an opportunity to choose different things in their life or, or giving them power in the home might help alleviate some of those times where they feel out of power, right? Mm. And then encouraging them to focus on those times and to feel those times. It's a lot easier to ignore or to be not impacted by an act of harm when you have a lot of other positive things happening around. So thinking of siblings... So brother to brother, brother to sister, sister to sister, special sibling relationships and dynamics. How much, how concerned, I should say, should a parent be if they're seeing a lot of sibling conflict? Is sibling bullying a thing? How much of it is normal, quote unquote, normal sibling interactions? So 
tell me what to do when my kids are fighting and I don't know what to do with them, Joe. Tell me what to do. That's such a hard question. Um, it's, I mean, I can speak for myself, right? I have three sisters, two of them who are older, one who's younger. And I mean, there were times in our lives where we were just not good to each other. Um, I think that some of it just comes from differences of opinion, difference in ages, differences of all kinds of stuff. And even to this day, we definitely goof each other and roast each other and pick on each other and, you know, tell embarrassing stories from years ago and all this stuff. But the difference is we have changed the way we think about each other's well-being, right? The power dynamics have shifted. Um, both my parents had to work. So when my older sisters were watching us, we were a chore. So that can breed some resentment to be like, oh, I have to watch them, right? It wasn't until my 20s where my older sister stopped referring to me and my little sister as the kids. And her husband was like, you know, they're old, right? Like we can't call them the kids anymore. Right. So we, yeah, that's an artificial kind of like barrier, artificial like bias where it's like, oh, of course they're adults. They have thoughts, feelings, everything of their own. Little kids, when you're with your siblings, you know, they're the first people you see in the morning. They're the last people you see at night. So it becomes really easy to kind of have that problem, right? They see us without our makeup on. They see us without, um, you know, when we're not really thinking all the time about our actions because they've seen us at our best and at our worst. So I think that familiarity, that closeness creates vulnerability. Mm. So something my sister could say to me could impact me way more than if like a stranger on the street said it or if a coworker said it, right? Because of that closeness. I'd say if you're seeing strong power dynamics develop where like one sibling is holding power over another constantly and there's a lot of negative feelings coming from that or even if just like not thriving like one sibling who's holding the power is really pushy or really in charge and the other one is going along with it that's not necessarily positive like power should be shared amongst people mm. um i don't know if this is good to hear as a parent but sometimes it's good to have kids against parents rather than kids against each other right because at least they're not beating each other up and there is natural power imbalances between parents and kids um we don't want to when kids create that artificial power imbalance like you know a seven-year-old and a five-year-old there's really not a ton of difference between them but for them, it's the world. Mm -hmm. So finding ways for each one to feel empowered and share that power is is really important, especially when they move into the real world, um, or not the real world, as they move into getting older, mm -hmm. right? Trying not to establish that with their friends, their peers, uh, be they trying to hold that power or becoming followers of others. That's an important lesson to kind of have them share that stuff. And something else too that I've you know heard a couple of different times from different parenting people and listening to other podcasts about parenting and consuming other parent things um, was if you find your kids are just, just having a spike in kind of being at each other. A lot of times if you have try to build in some one-on-one -on -one time with them. So when they're not together, but they get more connection time with a parent or solo time with a parent, something about that refills them in a way that they don't feel like they have to be so, at each other with their siblings who, like you said, you're around each other all of the time. They're the people you can be your most truest self with because self with, because they're your people, right? Who you're with. So 
So Joe, we like to wrap up every episode with our ending of take action tips. So a time when our experts can give us tangible things that we can do right away with our kids. So can you share with us one thing that our parents of elementary school kids and then one thing that our parents of adolescents, so our middle school and high schoolers, that they can do once we are done talking today? Yeah, absolutely. I, right off the bat, I, if I can boil this to one thing, um, I like to talk to adults about modeling, right? How, what do our behaviors teach our kids? Like kids will pick things up from what we say and do, whether mm. it's explicitly said to them or not. So what are we doing that our kids are picking up on? Um, and then continue modeling positive behaviors. And then if we model not so positive behaviors for whatever reason, model accountability, right? How do we change? How do we talk to our kids about how we messed up and, and have those, those important conversations, those conversations about how like, hey, I wasn't making a good choice or I did something that, you know, maybe I told you not to do, or maybe this is something that happened because I'm a grown up and I just haven't fixed it yet, right? That's okay. That humility with your kids is gonna go miles of showing them what it means to be responsibly incorrect. Um, so modeling the behaviors, modeling the positive things, and you know, giving ourselves a little grace, right? Nobody can be perfect. We're all gonna mess up. Uh, like I'm the first person to talk trash or goof with my friends, and, and I have to hold myself accountable when it crosses the line, when it hurts somebody's feelings. Modeling that is huge. Um, and then listening, keeping the conversations open for years. The more you talk to your kids, like obviously as kids become teenagers, it gets harder and harder for them to want to talk to their parents. So just trying your best to keep the lines of communication open and making sure that they have a variety of people they can turn to. So making sure that even if you're not the person they can talk to about it, mm -hmm. they have somebody at school or a coach mm -hmm. or another family member who they trust to have their backs if something does come up. Um, yeah, that's that's how I would try to boil that down as best as possible, online and offline, modeling positive behavior, and when we don't live up to our expectations, holding ourselves accountable to our kids. Awesome. Thank you so much. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Um, can you tell us where we can find you, information about you, information about Crime Victim Center? Absolutely. So you can find Crime Victim Center on our website at cvcofcc.org, as in Crime Victim Center of Chester County. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. We have a newsletter that goes out every month uh, called CVC's Prevention Roundup, uh, Prevention Resource Roundup. And we just send out great information for folks. You can you can find that on our website um, as well. Uh, if you ever want to schedule programming or have chats, I, I always tell people I do a, like assemblies for parents. We go to schools and uh, talk in their gymnasiums to parents about stuff. But I'll come to book clubs. I'll come to wine nights, like whatever you all need to like have a chat with your family. Or if you just want to hop on our hotline and be like, Joe, I need to talk through this we're always here for you. Uh, and all that information is available on our website and our socials. So thank you to everyone for joining us today. And please check the show notes in your podcast player here for links to everything we talked about. And you can always go to dtownctc.org or you can find my email below to send me a note. We will talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.